Welcome to the Poetry Questions TPQ20, where we sit down with your favorite authors to talk about passions, process, pitfalls, and poetry. My name is Chris Margolin. Let's expand the conversation. Good morning. How are you doing? Good morning. I'm doing all right. How are you? Fantastic. Can you hear me okay? I can. Can you hear me all uh, right? Yes, I can. Perfect. Perfect. All right. our, our home is in the middle of a, we're unpacking after a large renovation. So I'm cramming myself into like the smallest space possible. Understood. Uh, I'm also moving. So there are boxes everywhere. <laughs> yeah. The trees behind you though, don't, don't I know. do that at all. Yeah, I'm trying to channel some of the redwoods uh, calm and stillness. I have none of that. So, oh, well, it, it looks like a gorgeous background. So, we will say it's a beautiful day where you are. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for hanging out today on TPQ20. Uh, we course. always like to start things off by saying, you know, we know who you are, but our audience may be new to you. Um, so, uh, if you were to kind of give that bio that your publicist doesn't have, uh, or that you know wouldn't go on the back of a book. What would you say? Uh, what would you say? Who are you? Oh, uh, Kemi Alibi is a person trying to survive. Um, Kemi Alibi is a person who is practicing language as uh, something material that might help themselves and people they love navigate this fucked up world. Um, Kemi Alavi is, yes, always, always in practice with the beginner's mind about what a poem is and what a poem can do. And uh, Kemi Alavi just published their debut book of poems and is now completely revisiting the idea of what a book of poems is supposed to be and can do. So um, Kemi Alavi is a Leo sun, Capricorn rising, Scorpio moon. I have to tell you that because it's almost Leo season. My birthday's coming up. So uh, <laughs> Leo's have happy to. almost birthday. Thank you. Yeah, Leo's takeover cancer season to let you know that their birthdays as, are coming as, up. As a cancer, I, I will, you know, allow, I ask, you know, I will uh, move into the background here. Yeah, sorry. Cancer season is just the runway before Leo season. And we're already in strep mode. So. <laughs> I love that. Um, I love the idea of poetry as like an actual tangible material. Like in my, you know, I can feel like a fabric that's sewn together. I like that, that idea. Um, where did you find your early passions for, for poetry? Uh, and maybe what are some of those passions that have, that you found that have worked their way into your poetry? Mm, oh, I like those as connected questions. Um, my, I first came to poetry as a very young person. I was that, you know, five-year-old making poems or, you know, what were supposed to be poems. <laughs> I, you know, as a child, I always gravitated toward language and um, I'm trying to make it really malleable and make it song. You know, I was very attracted to language as song. And so as this kiddo, I was always writing these poems and sharing them with my teachers. And um, it was kind of wild for my parents because they're not folks who read a lot of poetry or were, were interested in it. But here I was with, you know, all these poems. And I think that um, uh, language was just like a really uh, available instrument. You know, I kind of, I've, uh, I came from a, 
um, of family, my, my mother's side. Um, they were church folks, pastors, um, maestros in the church, you know, at um, dinner, you know, Thanksgiving dinner, they could break out into four-part harmony flawlessly you know they were it was just you know a very musical side of my family and though the music kind of lived in like our branch of the tree it wasn't quite something that we'd um uh me and my siblings practiced but um you know my my uh a few of my uncles who were pastors you know there were also these great orators over the pulpit you know they would just really um stir up the entire congregation with the power of their words. So from very early, I was like, words are cool, like sound is cool. Um, like it can it can just stir up um, and uh, be so potent, so packed. Um, and it's different from this other type of speech. And I, I can use it to describe my little world that no one seems to um, be asking me many questions about. <laughs> and I love that because you say, you, you know, people were surprised when we were, you know, writing things down, but you were hearing stories constantly. I mean, so you had that, you had those stories, so it couldn't have been too far shot to, you know, put, put pen to paper. Yeah. Um, you know, as, as your family's doing already, I assume. So, yeah. you know, that's what a, what a beautiful way to grow up in, in that world of language. And it's so obvious of why you would fall in love with language because everything they're doing packs so much power. That's really cool. Yeah, it was so potent. You know, here's this like book that lives in everyone and the houses of everyone I know that's like holy and they like obey it. I'm like, what? This here's <laughs> this like really books are powerful. Yeah. Uh, so um, but you know, it was definitely the like um a stranger variation and then more introverted variation of what other people were doing, right? That's something I'm doing all alone and it's like very yeah. moody, you know, it's very um, moody child with lots of emotions. And I guess, I mean, the through line, if I'm remembering the second half of your question correctly, I think that language, I still consider language to be this instrument, to be like such a sonic medium. I'm still someone who is really interested in the space between music and meaning when it comes to language and when it comes to poetry, understanding it not necessarily as like a strictly communicative act when it comes to the um, like uh, individual units of meaning of each word, but understanding the line as a unit of sound um, and understanding that sonic power, especially thinking about um, different um, Black spiritual traditions, sonic power being a unique type of um, transformative power in itself. And I think that's something I still try to hold in my poetry. You know, I was just um, writing yesterday and understanding that right now I'm not in a poem writing place because oh, I'm finding a lot of meaningful things to write about. I can't find the line right now. And so that means I'm not writing poems. There are a lot of sentences, but there are no poems because I can't quite tap into the music. And so I think that's the through line as a poet. Um, I'm always trying to find the sound, the song of the poem, um, no matter what the meaning is governing the poetry, there's a sound too that I'm trying to stay true to and always listening for. Hmm, I like that. Do you, was there, um, was there somebody that you read early on that, uh, where you thought, okay, this poetry thing, you know, on the page here does make sense. Like who are those early foundational, those early foundational poets? And then maybe who was the catalyst poet 
that got you to really say, I can do this? Uh, this is a funny question because I don't, I don't know if anyone's asked me this before, but I had a, a lot of children's poetry, like a lot of yeah. children anthology, like, you know, and they were just my most precious objects. And I wish I, you know, they were like the shell silver, silver scenes, you know, but and I can't even, I wish I could even remember um, uh, the, the poets in this anthology. It was tattered, like the cover was torn, yeah. you know, it was long gone, but I, you know, I read a lot as a kiddo, not a lot of poems formally um but um I I did have these a couple of anthologies of just like really um wacky surreal poetry and I was like this is so cool you know I, I treasured those and then it was like a lot of music so for a while I was like that kid on the playground was like no I'm not writing poems I'm writing songs okay and so I was always tuned in to the music around me to go back to music you know like uh, and I'm like oh I'm gonna like grow up and don't be brandy like I'm writing these poems or they're actually songs <laughs> and I'm gonna be this R&B singer uh you know <laughs> and so um and then it wasn't until you know and so poetry was just really kind of private practice for me and I um was mostly reading fiction and then it wasn't until high school that I got introduced to poets that really started to um just uh, um, harness that power and that passion into a craft. And shout out to Angelina Cicero, my creative writing teacher in high school, who just awesome. kind of opened up a whole new world for me. And that's when I first started reading Patricia Smith and watching okay. Patricia Smith. And I was like, oh. <laughs> you know so this I, is what a poem is right you know I mean uh I mean there's so many poets that I read in that classroom but I always shout out Patricia Smith as really that person who um opened up on a whole new um like a, a universe of possibility for me when it comes to poetry and then after high school when I went to school in Boston I got a chance to see Patricia Smith read at the Canton Lounge in Cambridge and um, you know, her work, she's so formally inventive. I mean, the, I, you know, the way that she approaches form really blew my mind. It just, the possibilities um, were, became so exciting to me. And then, of course, the way that she harnesses the power of the sonic. Um, I think, you know, if you either on the page or if you're in the room, your molecules are rearranging um, based hey, on the lines. Somebody I talked to the other day said uh, they wish they could be Patricia Smith and just get up and write a crown sonnet in the morning before breakfast. <laughs> yeah, and I think that, I mean, uh, I I don't want to minimize what she does by thinking that it, it is like, amazing. but I mean, the, the, I don't know. I, I don't want to spend the whole podcast praising <laughs> Patricia Smith, but uh, I, I really just have been trying to learn from her ever since. Um, she also um the the what am i trying to say i think that the way that she approaches subjects also had the like a, a rigor behind the um emotional through lines in her poetry is very was very attractive to me then and still is there's something about the way that she is um uh the poem is pulsating with mm -hmm. um uh uh and I, I want to call it a, a rigorous emotional through line because there are ways in which um, we can approach poems without uh, really cutting to the bone. And I think that that is a, a really uh, primary 
the primary example I have of a poet who understands that the emotions of a poem do require it's a, a it's a rigorous craft element yeah. <laughs> to be able to access those places um I think yeah she was the first poet to demonstrate that for me I like that and I think you I mean you know against heaven is a story I mean it's not it's not you know a series of random pieces put together so I think you've created that emotional through line there you have characters you have a story um you know there is you you have to get to the end to actually know, you know, where, where do we leave, you know, where do we leave our, you know, a narrator. Um, and so I think, you know, you've done a good job of kind of taking, taking what you've learned and pushing it forward and working on that craft. I think that's, I think that's evident in what you do. Thank you. Uh, do you, a, a question lately has come up or a conversation has come up a lot lately with, with poets about the idea of, creating a story in their books like using that chapbook as a you know as the short as a short vignette or a short story and then moving toward a collection and actually creating a you know almost a you know I don't want to say a novel sense to it but that full plot line do you think that's do you think that's something that you do consciously or is that something that um you know how do you how do you go about that or do you I'll say that I've done it reluctantly. I'll say that when I think about, <laughs> um, and it's only because when I think about what brings me to a poem or to poetry collections um, uh, as both a reader and a writer, um, story is always going to be um, lower in my list of priorities than music, than structure. You know, like there's, um, there's a way I'm coming to the poem um, without the narrative drive so much um, without the desire necessarily even to um, yeah communicate a story or use a story's logic there's a way in which I'm like a my my draws to poetry exist outside of that though those elements always uh, appear and so that was a ch that was my challenge was to try to impose a type of narrative logic maybe not impose but unearth the narrative logic of my poems um, and so when I approached against heaven as a collection understanding how the poems were speaking to one another i was i was inspired by a craft essay that diane seuss has um and i'm forgetting the name of it but um she's talking about poems as these wild horses that uh and it's a craft essay about how to arrange a book of poems and uh the thesis is basically like it's the wildness like you do like what you, you know like you can try to impose a logic but um but there was a piece of an advice about kind of you know what do your poems naturally do and how can you um uh through the order of the book uh bring in the elements that individually the poems uh aren't uh, putting forward the most and so my poems being um so uh leaning on sound and form uh, and when I think about, you know, the four temperaments, um, uh, understanding that story is the temperament that exists in, uh, the least in my individual Lucy. So I'm like, okay, well, maybe in the the long poem of the book, uh, let me bring in story a bit more. And so that was the conscious decision once I understood how the poems were talking to each other, but it was not the conscious de decision when I'm when I started writing the poems, um, I really have enjoyed uh, thinking through my 
obsessions, one Lucy at a time, and not necessarily thinking about a, a narrative arc behind the poems that I'm trying to write for a collection, even um, for that first collection at least. Um, and I have um, stories in my mind that could become, uh, you know, uh, subsequent poetry collections, you know, right. told in verse. But that's not my my my. I'm always finding searching for the line, um, and not necessarily the the long story of a full length poetry collection. So obviously music is, has come up quite a bit. So I've got to ask, um, when you sit down to write a piece, um, so let's see, uh, oh, I had a conversation with Ariel Marie the other day. Mm. And she- Loved their work. Right, and, and they come from a, a very music foundational background. Uh, and like my introduction to them was, uh, uh, a YouTube clip of them, you know, singing part of uh, part of a poem from uh, from Gumbo Yaya. So, you know, it brought a whole new sense of the book when I sit down to read the book because I know that there's song infused in this somewhere. Um, so part of my head is searching for that as well. Mm -hmm. uh, is that part of what you? How do you use your music sensibilities? in your writing? Um, when I am thinking about the composition of a poem, it is, um, I'm thinking about it as a, the poem as um, uh, spanning over time and not necessarily spanning over space, right? Like it is, a, um, it, it is the canvas not necessarily being the page but being time like it's just that's the dimension that I'm writing in <laughs> you know and sometimes you know I'm going about my day thinking about lines hearing lines as the unit of meaning and and when I'm revising it's very sonic I'm uh uh all my poems are memorized because that's part of the composition is me hearing and um speaking feeling like how does it feel in my mouth how does it live in the air so it's just a, a part of my craft approach is the sonic element of the poem versus kind of um, even though of course the visual element like how what it's doing on the page is of course part of it but I when I'm thinking about the line as a um, kind of a unit of time and a unit of sound versus like uh, the space that it's taking on the page or even even thinking um image first, you know, like how, what is the first image of a poem? Uh, it's, I'm mostly thinking about uh, instead the image comes in. Uh, my first, what first brings me to that line is its sound. Um, and so, and I'm thinking about rhythm. I'm thinking about, um, uh, as, especially when I'm thinking about a poem's completion. Like I know when it's finished, when I, can say it out loud and as like a, a whole unit of like time <laughs> as a kind of like a song it, it has like a type of somatic resonance um mm. uh, and so to me these are all and uh you know th this is just my uh approach to it when i'm thinking about sound and music i there are you know, infinite other ways to think about the sonic elements of a poem. But for me, it brings me into a 
somatic place where um, I have like a, a libidinal response to the way that the poem is marking time or, or and I'm, um, I am really listening for the sounds of the line. Uh, and then of course, image is happening. <laughs> but uh, I think it's that's my secondary concern. It's an old school approach to, I mean, I, you know, I, I learned poetry is super nerdy way of like, you know, marking out different sounds and things like that. And it's, but it's, it's an old school way of keeping time through what you I mean, it's, you know, it's an I am for everything that you're listening to. Um, and I like that idea of everything's a sonic approach to it. You know, the image isn't complete until the sound is complete is a really cool way to think about it's just kind of like think about what you're saying. Um, I like that a lot. Um, as we kind of head toward the finish line here, uh, who out there are you reading? Um, who's getting you excited on a regular basis to come back to words? Uh, uh, and uh, what can we, uh, where can we find your work and what can we expect next from you? Oh, uh, there are so many uh, brilliant, amazing poets who are keeping me fed these days. Like, it's it's interesting to have so many conversations and how it will come out during this pandemic because um, we're all, I mean, uh, in survival mode in so many different ways. And so it's uh, um, made it a bit sharper the um the the use of poetry the pleasure of poetry like the it's become much clearer what poetry can and cannot do for me yeah. um what writing can and cannot do for me and so i i say these names because these are folks who when i feel like i um uh cannot write or um i'm not sure why i'm writing uh it i i feel unburdened because i'm like i don't need to these writers are doing some work they've had this offering for me right um uh like let's just pause and spend time with the words that already exist and so i will name sasha banks who has an incredible collection of america mine that i um uh, i i look forward to anything that sasha um does now or in the future i think that this is a writer with a uh, deep radical imagination uh, and I love living in Sasha's imagination through their poems. Taylor Johnson's uh, book Inheritance. When I think about listening and the power of the sonic, theirs is a collection that I think about um, as they are so sonically attuned to their surroundings uh, and uh, so many of the poems in their book are kind of these vignettes of what's observed and heard in and around DC. Um, uh, to think uh, not about um, just a contemporary writer, Lucille Clifton. Uh, um, I mean, I'm fed every day by Lucille Clifton. I try to open up her collective works and find a poem at the beginning of each day and just learn something new from poems that I've read um, so many times, like the brevity of her work, um, the impact of uh, um, kind of these these shorter lines, um, the clarity in her work, um, you know, like I, I understand craft-wise that I'm not necessarily approaching my poetry in the same way that Lucille Clifton does, and I don't have to because Lucille Clifton exists, right? Like, you know, let me. I'm gonna do my weird shit and <laughs> when I and let uh, Lucille Clifton continue to feed me with um, the amazing things she's doing, and I know I'll never write like that, and it's fine because I don't have to. Um, so I, um, those are maybe the the three that I'll shout out right Love now it. is um, I keep returning to the work of these poets. 
Awesome. And then how about your work? Where can we find your work and what can we expect next from you? Even if currently you may, might not be uh, finding that line yet for that, uh, that, so, that song you want to sing. Yeah, um, well, I'm online, kind of, uh, 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 kind of. Uh, so I can be found at kemialbi.com. I just kind of wrapped up my dates for the little Against Heaven tour that I did. I had my debut come out in April, and um, but uh, I do have some more reading dates coming up, and folks can uh, tap into that via my website and find awesome. where I'll be reading next. Um, and as for me, I am going to be trying to survive, <laughs> resting, <laughs> trying to take care of my community, um, and uh, writing uh, privately. Awesome. I, I have I have projects that are secrets, and Beautiful. when they're ready to be um, out there, folks will know where to find me. Wonderful. Thank you so much for hanging out with me today on TVQ20. I truly appreciate you and the work you are doing. And I look forward to reading what comes next. I'll talk to you soon. Have a good day. Thank you. You too. Thank you for listening to the Poetry Questions TPQ20. Please like, rate, review, and subscribe. See you next week.